live from Treasure Planet, this is Derail Trains of Thought. Tim, we're uh, in a very exotic location this time. No kidding. I'd really like to know how we afforded our ticket out here. I kind of just sto- stowed away. I don't know how you got here. Uh, I, I have a bad tendency to stalk you, so I think that's... Yeah, that's why I'm asking. Note to self, carry a frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> of course, people would have had to see my Facebook <laughs> picture to understand that, but anywho. He's just, he just making sure he's not giving me any Twilight vibes, and I'll be sad. Yeah. So, yeah, we're back. Yeah. To uh, do yet another podcast here, out in outer space. Mm-hmm. And we've gone high tech for the occasion, too. We have a brand new microphone. Hopefully you can tell the improvement in audio quality. If not, I'll be rather disappointed. You'll hear every one of my inabilities to pronounce certain words. <laughs> so, um, we don't ever have any really news or... We have one news. We have one news. <laughs> One item of news. Uh, the Story Project is now available for your Kindle device. That's true. The Story Project, if you haven't heard us talk about, is a very we're very fond of. It's a project we did back in 2005 and six, yes. I believe. It's about these writers who live together and they have to deal with each other and... We wrote it over real time. It was a very, we were very proud of what came out of it. Definitely. And that is one of the unusual factors that I often kind of forget to tell people about it. The fact that it was done in real time is adds kind of a very rough and tumble quality to it sometimes. But uh, it worked out really well. And like we said, we've said many times before, we're very proud of it. It'll be the best $1.99 you ever spend. So it means I'm now actually an author on Amazon, which is pretty cool. That is pretty awesome. So, so let's go ahead and start with our story school. So this is my idea. I decided that we want to talk about action stories. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk about this was I was watching Sherlock Holmes, The Game of Shadows. Have you seen that, Tim? Yes. Okay. Afterwards, I really enjoyed it, but I had all these ideas in my head about action movies. And then I, wrote the, then I read this article that actually just kind of reinforced things I was talking about. But the, my initial thought was this, that and I'm going to call Sherlock Holmes for an action movie. Sure. Because oh, yeah. it's not really... Sherlock Holmes in yeah. a traditional sense. Not not at all. But I felt like it kind of encapsulates what some action movies do now, where you have such crazy set pieces that it almost goes too unbelievable to mm-hmm. me. In particular, I'm thinking of the train scene, which if you haven't seen, I won't spoil too much, but it's just crazy. And it comes thought, out of nowhere. I thought you were going to talk about the running through the oh, forest bit. Actually, that one too. That's actually maybe higher on my list, but that's one of those where, okay, they have this scene where they're running through the force away from all these... A bazillion uh, cannons and guns. Yeah, and high-tech artillery for the time. Yeah. Kind of pre-World War One guns. Mm-hmm. And they're running, and it's all slow-mo and crazy shots and half-matrixy, and I thought, my brother loved it. I thought it was a little overdone, because, like I was telling to my wife, when Sherlock Holmes does his thinking through his fight scene, like, and it kind of slows it down and does it. Makes mm-hmm. sense, because it's like him processing it, and it's showing you how he's thinking. But this was just kind of for the wow factor, which I'm not against, but it went on for quite a while. It was kind of a long sequence, and I I did think to myself, there are going to be some people who don't like this bit as much, because it's just so 
And the fact that there's all these trees that are being blown to smithereens, splinters all over the place, and somehow Sherlock and Watson seem to be running through this without getting hurt by anything. And this is this is the to me the the balancing act in an action movie for myself is that you want your character to do crazy things, you want them to be superhuman, mm-hmm. but I don't want them to be too superhuman. If that makes sense, I want them to do things that. Okay, you can't really do what you feel like you might be able to t- do, given the circumstances. Yeah. Well, and the trick is with modern action he- movies, part of it is that there's, in a sense, so many of them. Actually, I, one of my students, when I was teaching um, a class last semester on uh, mass media for her project, she looked up like a bunch of the, like, the top 10 you know, all-time as listed on IMDb. And if you look at that list, a lot of them are these high-budget action adventure kind of movies. And so that's what Hollywood likes to make. And there's so many of them now. And the trick with that then becomes, how do you keep audiences excited? How do you always keep it up the game a little bit more when it gets crazier and crazier? And, and, I, and I agree. I understand wanting to one-up the last movie, but at some point you one-up so far that I think you lose some of the humanity of why you like an action movie. You know, kind of the quintessential action movie. Okay, maybe not quintessential, but, you know, Die Hard. Like, the first Die Hard, you're just stuck in a building. Yeah. You know, and just kind of surviving, and, you know, and that's very simple, but it works because of the... the What I want to see in an action movie more than anything, I want to see cool fight scenes. Yeah. But I also want to see a character who's the underdog pull out a win at the last minute. <laughs> because that's, that's largely... And I've said on here before that, like, I love the end of Expendables. Yeah. Where, like, things blow up like crazy. But <laughs> I'm saying that I think, you know, Sherlock Holmes is a little over the top. So I might be contradictory, but I think it also is kind of the the mood you establish mm. in some ways. I personally think that Mission Impossible was a better action movie than Sherlock Holmes. I kind of felt, too. And, and it was interesting. Yeah, I, I enjoyed both movies. Yes, I did, too. But I did feel Mission Impossible was the stronger one. And perhaps it is because it felt less gimmicky and more in a sense, more classic Hollywood, in that you were able to see kind of each sequence laid out. For, it wasn't like you were overwhelmed. Okay, maybe like when they were running through the sandstorm. <laughs> that was kind of crazy. But, I mean, you got to each place where they're going to do the caper. They set up, you know, and they they lead you through the suspense of what the characters are doing. Are they going to get caught? There's a lot more focus on the suspense of the thing rather than just the adrenaline of it. Tim, you hit exactly what I wanted to talk about. So where is this... So there's this article I read right after watching Sherlock Holmes. It's from uh, cinemaretro.com. I found it completely randomly. I don't know how I found it. I don't remember now. But it's called uh, Contrast, Counterpoint, and Patience, the Vanishing Penultimate Moment in Film. And largely, it's uh, interviews with, like, Brad Bird, and uh, who did The Incredibles, and the new Mission Impossible movie. It's, the interview's pre-Mission Impossible, but I think it applies. They analyze some Hitchcock. I think they talked to J.J. Abrams. But talking about the, the, their definition of the penultimate moment is kind of, or how Brad Bird defines it, it's the sneaking around before the action scene. Mm. It's the tension that builds before you get to that action scene. And the article is complaining that there's too many movies that just want to go from high point to high point without spending some time building up to a climax. Mm, yeah. And I thought this applied really well to comparing Mission Impossible and Sherlock Holmes. Because Mission Impossible, like when they're in Dubai, which is my favorite extended scene, they have, here's what we're going to do, and then things go wrong, and then they try to fix it, and then, like, when he's climbing the, on the outside of the hotel, they spend time building each little thing, you know, him testing it, and the glove falling off, and the, I mean, they they soak each moment. 
And that's what makes it all the more intense. I mean, you're watching Tom Cruise, which is actually Tom Cruise yeah. on a building, <laughs> only held up by wires, on this building that's thousands of feet in the air. You've got to be able to soak in that moment. Otherwise, having Tom Cruise in the building is, you're just wasting that. And, and, but when I kept thinking about it, they soak almost the moments for almost every major action scene. At the beginning, when they open the jail, you don't even see Tom Cruise for like five minutes into the thing. It's this steady build of what's going on there. Mm-hmm. When they're in the, trying to sneak into the Kremlin, they spend five minutes just pushing that thing forward. Down the hallway. Down the hallway. I and mean, it's awesome. And it's awesome. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they know that half the action is the suspense of whether, you're going, whether it's going to work. Yeah. And, and things going wrong. Everything's always going wrong. And all the characters in Mission Impossible, you know, they get hurt. They're, you know, they're like, oh, is this a good idea? You know, they feel human. I think that helps root for them. Mm-hmm. I think it would be really interesting to compare this Mission Impossible to, say, number two. It, yeah. Which was directed by John Woo. And I remember not liking that one terribly much. I, it's my least favorite, I believe. I don't remember the details. In fact, that's one of the reasons probably why I don't remember liking because I don't really remember much of it. It was just like one, you know, action thing after yeah. another. And, like, at the beginning of that movie, Tom Cruise is climbing this cliff face without, like, any ropes or anything like that just with his bare hands and when you start your movie off with him as such this macho man already then it's kind of hard to feel real worried about him later on i agree i want to take this kind of milk in the moment back to uh the train scene in sherlock holmes which they didn't see basically watson's on the train and sherlock knows that he's going to try to be killed by moriarty's men yeah basically sherlock holmes shows up saves them and then and then there's like this massive quick flashback about all the things he did to get to that point. So you're you're doing in a flashback all the setup that we should have seen before. Mm-hmm. They didn't milk the thing. They showed it as a, oh, here's an excuse for why this bullet set up perfectly. Well, and, and in the case of Sherlock Holmes, though, I can't feel like part of it is also to say, look how cool it is. This is like how genius he was that he was able to set up all this stuff that you didn't even realize. Well, I, and I get that, but don't you think if you just saw bits and pieces of that before it happened and then... You saw how it all connected. It'd be even better. Okay, so sort of like a Rube Goldberg machine. Like a Rube, yeah, exactly. So we could see the machine being built as opposed to just being shown after the fact that the machine had been built. Mm. Yeah, I, I could see your point. I mean, I, can I, always... I don't know. I mean, to me, that was the contrast between the two. Now, they're yeah. both valid ways of doing things. Right. But after reading this article, I was like, huh. Also, just a little pet peeve. Well, not pet peeve, but interesting about Sherlock Holmes. It's kind of a mystery. But all the clues he picks up, the audience doesn't really get to see. They can't connect the dots. Like he looks at this bo- this botany book, but you don't. It's for like half a second. You don't even can't even read the title. Yeah. And then one time he looks at a newspaper, and you can't even read the headline. You just know it's important. Mm-hmm. So you can't even pretend to try to put the pieces together. That's it, fair. Yeah, that was something. Like after having seen, I actually liked this one more than the first Sherlock yeah. Holmes movie. It was, it was, I mean, and it was very entertaining. I, yeah, it's fun. So I would kind of picked up on sometimes when you when he was looking at something like, oh, that's that's important. But you have that's true. You don't really have any idea why it's important. He's having a little more sense of you know that it's supposed to come together, but not having any clue. Like if you had just little more instances. Like the end, I won't, but the reveal at the end when it one up Moriarty is fabulous. Yeah. But it might have been even better if you had a sense that not that you should have been able to get it. It's not really a mystery, but whether you had a you had seen more of the pieces. They even had to explain some of the pieces about like mm. the pigeon watching and stuff. That yeah, I I, I can see. I, in that case though, I feel like it's it's a little harsh to compare it to Mission Impossible because it's a different kind of story. I well, mean, that's I mean that's true, and I I, I guess I'm using it for. 
just for contrast purposes, because it's trying to do something different. Yeah, no, yeah, it is. I mean, not every uh, action movie is gonna is focused on the caper aspect of going in to set things, set this stuff up, and That's so true. forth. A lot of times, it's just the heroes reacting to what's been thrust at them. Case in point, Die Hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and he tries to make these plans, and 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 I guess the other high point in action movies for me is them wiggling out of situations they shouldn't be able to. Last, I mean, you yeah. always want them to pull out at the last moment something awesome that's believable mm-hmm. and just kind of rub it in the bad guy's face. Yeah. Which also kind of was a... I was really sad at the end of Sherlock Holmes. Okay, so he got Moriarty, but he didn't stop World War One, And the sharpshooter got away. And the sharpshooter yeah. getting away was... Ah, yeah, he, I mean, he was, it's, it's realistic then. It's more bittersweet, you know, mm-hmm. but... Maybe he'll be in the next show. That's true. But that is one of those things, that is one of those conventions I love when they just, you know... That, where the bad guys totally get what's coming to them. Exactly. That's yeah. one of those conventions that I don't mind people constantly doing. Yeah. <laughs> now, I yeah, and I, and I totally am with you in the sense of letting the audience being able to see what's going on. And this is where the concept of chaos cinema is kind of critiqued by a lot of film critics, film buffs nowadays. The kind of like the Bourne Supremacy, the Bourne Ultimatum, those kind of movies where the camera's shaking all over the place. You can't really tell what's going on. It's just, you know, it's supposed to be really intense because it's cut that way. We saw you show me an interesting video that was kind of critiquing that. But I see it. It's true. I see it all over the place now, even after Bourne. Prime example, I saw Prince of Persia a few weeks ago. I don't remember if I told you about this. Briefly, you did. I really enjoyed the movie. Um, kind of cheesy in parts, but still good stuff. I noticed though it was interesting that I, I liked the way a lot of the acrobatics worked a lot because he's going off the game. He's, this he's kind parkour. Of, yeah, he's, he's very parkour. He's jumping off rooftops, going flipping over stuff, and I thought that all that was really cool. That every time he got into a fight scene, suddenly all the camera shots were really tied in. They're really quick. You couldn't really couldn't really enjoy the fight choreography because you couldn't see what it was. And that's that's a real problem, in my opinion. I agree, because action scenes need... Okay, I won't say always need to be, but I think generally they're better if you have a good sense of space and where th- who's interacting with what, mm-hmm. as opposed to just, things are frantic! Yeah. I mean, and the, here's the thing. Explosions and franticness, for I think for a large number of moviegoers, is enough action. Yeah. But... I want something a little, you know, a I mean, little more, I, I guess. And I can understand why you might want to do that and and really bring up the, play up the adrenaline aspect of it. But you can't overdo it. I mean, I really, when I want to see a fight scene, I want to see the fight scene. Interestingly enough, I noticed something today on a TV show that you and I both really enjoy. They actually did do this and when kind of... I would say there may have been a case for it. And this is actually Doctor Who. Okay, yeah. And the end of the astronaut two-parter... Like, after he's revealed his plan to foil the silence. Oh, yeah. There's this crazy scene where, like, River is shooting all over the place. They're zapping their, you know, their alien laser, not laser, lightning beams all around. Doctor's kind of waving his sonic screwdriver around. And it's really not clear what's going on exactly. <laughs> like, you're not sure why River and the Doctor are able to avoid all the lightning blasts or and how River just man- is managing to shoot every one of them. It's actually edited quite chaotically. But... It kind of works because Doctor Who is kind of more about uh, emotional logic than yeah. actually the, seeing. The, yeah, Doctor Who's very much about making you feel things than having you actually make a A to B connection. Yeah, because <laughs> half the time you just like, I don't understand how this works, but okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> exactly. You so, know, like, uh, what was it, the one where uh, Love's killed the Cybermen? 
Oh man, I, I don't even remember. No, it was one where uh, his roommate—he was the roommate guy again. He was trying to save his son. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Which was awesome. Yeah, but very Doctor Who. Yeah, very Doctor Who. So I mean, there are cases where I can see you making a case. For well, me. my case for chaotic is Cloverfield. Oh yeah, that's because true. there's such a there's such an in, especially in the theater was such an insane rush mm-hmm. sometimes. Those, I know some people just got sick and they couldn't stand the movie. I can't stand the Bourne movies, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. I guess it depends how, how you play it emotionally. But sometimes it feels like it's more about, look, things are happening, as opposed to, look, you know, I'm on the edge of insanity. Mm-hmm. Like, I think War of the Worlds is kind of like that, isn't it? The Spielberg version? That's true, yeah, it actually kind of is. Um, and, I mean, that was 2005, so that was... Because Spielberg doesn't normally do... That's sort of chaotic. No, no, not really. I mean, it was, but it was very all over the place. Interesting. Another very different version of chaos cinema that I saw Spielberg do recently was, and I Facebooked about this, about in The Adventures of Tintin, there was this amazing chase scene. And when I was watching, I was like, this is, I can't believe he's doing this. Because The Adventures of Tintin was all motion capture, very much like Polar Express, except way cooler because it's an action adventure sort of thing. But there's this one chase scene where the good guys and bad guys are basically fighting over these parchments that have a clue for the treasure that they're, they're trying to get to, okay. of course. Um, but they go through this entire town, and it's simulated as if it's one camera shot. Like, it never cuts. It's not chaos cinema in a sense that you've got lots of these little itty-bitty cuts, but it's chaotic in the sense that the parchments are constantly changing hands. You never know exactly where the camera's going, because it feels like the camera is moving backwards the entire time. So you don't know where in the city they are or where they're going. It's just... And because the the parchments are changing hands, sometimes characters will pop out of nowhere trying to make a grab for it. It almost feels like an amusement park ride of sorts. Interesting. And I kind of wish I had seen it. I don't, and I don't have to say this, but I sort of wish I had seen it in 3D because I'm sure that would have added a really interesting aspect to it. But just, and I don't, I don't know if I said it on the podcast yet. They're talking about single shots. I still have to say, if you've not seen, I think it's the first Ongbok movie. Actually, I think it's The Protector. The Protector. Oh, okay. The Protector. Anyways, one of those with a D- Tony Jaw. Tony Jaw. Which are horrible plots, but wonderful action movies. <laughs> really? Well, and that's the thing with action movies. Sometimes, I mean, it's great special- ones have good plots, but martial arts movies, you just want to see them beat up stuff. Yeah, it's true. But there's this, seriously, it's like a five minute uncut action scene. Like, he takes out like a hundred people. Going up this long staircase I mean, inside. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. But actually, this reminds me, in books, action scenes, I remember talking about writing action scenes with someone in college, and talk about a lot of times, some writers, like, like beginning writers, get bogged down in details. This is exactly, you know, he punched and I blocked and uppercut, you know. Yeah. And even though you're saying all the actions, you lose the sense of action. And it's hard to figure it out, but giving the impression of action... In, at least that's how I do it, um, works better than detailing the action, which is almost the opposite of what we're saying for movies in some ways. <laughs> well, it's true. But, yeah, writing action is something that I've I've struggled with at times. It's like I remember Always Significant, which is that pirate story that mm-hmm. we read at Writer's Group at one time. I probably detailed the choreography too much because, you know, I want people to know that, hey, they're doing really cool fight stuff. When I got to, oh... I don't know. I, I kind of go back and forth on like the sword duel between Jonathan and Lance in uh, the story okay. project. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I look at it and I'm like, oh, I think that worked out. Other times I'm like, I don't know. I think I might have been too vague here. So it's a very hard balance. I remember. The, I think the first time I felt like I did a really good job 
well, I don't know the first time, but one I remember was uh, in the revolution when the lich was coming around killing everyone oh, okay. and like the building was falling, you know, because there's a lot of moving pieces. And if you detail it all, it gets a little, I remember the fight. Be- I remember the fight between Macalos and Wells being really, I think like, that's, really that, that's that same. Yeah. That's that same scene. I think. Oh, really? I don't yeah. remember the lich being there. Yeah. I think the lich was there too. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but I was reading a little bit of, yeah, I'm making a book proposal for of the squire today. Which I think your final fight in the Squire is pretty dark. That's what I was going to say. I mean, and that one was interesting because it's kind of technical spots. So you're trying to keep a lot of things moving. Like, because there's this dragon and the building's falling apart and he's doing some crazy sort of Well, I mean, it's unusual because, yeah, you're not fighting just on a 2D field, but because it's a flying dragon, you're fighting on, like, 3D. You've got to, your main character has to, like, bounce off of buildings So So you're trying to find the best way to ride it without getting technical. And I think... I think most of it pulls off pretty well, but it, it's finding that balance, I think, in, in writing, finding that balance between detailing everything and giving the impression of movement. Yeah. Because if you do too much of the spatial stuff, it just gets kind of, you lose the action. I mean, you have action, but it doesn't feel like action. Yeah. It just, yeah, because it bugs you down with all the, too much description. Because you, an action scene should read fast. I mean, hopefully, or at least efficiently. Mm, yeah. So, so uh, Tim, any other... Um, well, one of, one more observation I guess I would throw out, just in terms of action escalating, like we were talking about earlier. My folks watched Cowboys and Aliens uh, for the first time last night. They didn't watch it when I had gone earlier. My mom felt like, and this is, I, I include this to kind of give a voice to the older generation. Yeah. She felt like it had actually been misnamed because she thought Cowboys and Aliens sounded like it was very fun and she thought it was too serious. Okay. And I, and I was like, well, I didn't really take it that serious because... Honestly, I can't take the concept of a movie about cowboys and aliens that seriously. I don't go home and say, oh, that poor guy lost his wife. (laughs) I I went out and was like, oh, that was awesome. (laughs) But it was an interesting point. I mean, you think about like the action movies of the 50s and 60s and stuff. You just had cowboys and Indians firing guns and you never saw like giant blood spurting out. And you never it wasn't necessarily, you know, this heartfelt stuff about losing your wife and losing this like. What's the other female character who lost her entire race oh, or yeah. whatever? And you don't have like, you know, these big giants monsters from Hades that are actually aliens. But I mean, the aliens in a movie are kind of, they're derived from the film Alien, you know, kind of franchise. Like yeah. Alien, like, you know, Ridley Scott yeah. and Sigourney Weaver style of aliens. So I understood where she was coming from, but I understood where the filmmakers were coming from too. So I don't know if that's just a sign of, again, us. Kind of like when we were talking about talking about horror, you need you always have to kind of up the ante, up yeah. the throw level. I don't know if action has gotten to a point that it's going to be continually on this upward cycle of violence that we just kind of accept. And, and I think I think there's probably a part of that already has pushed the limits yeah. like that. And then there's some like a team, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> way over the top. But yeah. it's the entire style. Of the movie. I mean, you feel like they're making a conscious choice to be true yeah. over the top, and I. I personally enjoyed that. You could see people saying this is dumb because there's not your tank's not going to do that. <laughs> you, you can't parachute with a tank. I'm like, yes, you can. Because it's awesome. Because <laughs> they just did. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I don't know that we necessarily have an answer, but it's, there's a lot of interesting questions to see where action and adventure kinds of stories will go in the future. Yeah, and, and finding the balance between doing something new and cool without breaking the the limit of the story. Yeah, I guess. Right. That's what we got. So I guess up is soundtrack. 
so I'm going to do our first soundtrack today. I thought, I was trying to pick an action-y sort of video game. So I went with Contra, because Contra is insane. Very enjoyable, and of course, why we all know up, up, down, down, left, right, right left, right, BA, start. But I decided to go with a kind of different sound. Most of the Contra ones on Overclock Remix are guitar. You know, uh, rock. Rock, yeah. And there's not actually that many remixes of Contra, all things considered. But there's some heavy rock ones. But I decided to go with this one called Dystopian Future, remixed by Danny Shock. It's a remix of Contra 3, actually. And it's very jazzy. And it puts me in the mood of Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop has great action scenes, and they're all done to jazz. And pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And I like the, the juxtaposition, the doing the... I mean, that's a way to up the ante in some ways. You just put it into a different style that's than true. you're used to doing. There is a very dancey sort of thing going on. I would love to see more. It'd be really cool to see a, a whole... Act. Sometimes you see... I think I've, I feel like I've seen some action scenes done to classical music. Yeah. Which is another... That almost has a feeling of... Epic. You got kind of this... Are you used to thinking like the, like the opera classical? Well, yeah... I'm you trying mean, to think of an you, example. Are you well, talking like, like, like doesn't uh, like Evangelion do a whole sequence oh, to Ode to Joy? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Evangelion loves to do, and anime in general actually plays with music quite a bit more what? than American movies. And in that sense, it becomes sort of an ironic thing in that you've got something very beautiful set to something that's very gritty and sometimes grim. Yeah, and usually it's to add some sort of underpinning of philosophy or, you know, because Ode to Joy is all about the brotherhood of mankind and yeah. stuff like that, but... But having the jazzy stuff is always makes for a fun sequence. Yeah, and you do you see it occasionally in action movies, not not often enough. Not often enough. So here it is, Dystopian Future remixed by Danny Shock.
Hopefully you really enjoyed that. You got down. I guess now we're gonna revisit a section we've only, only done once. Which is called What If. What if, if you have not listened to our other one, we just asked a question. Try to put two things juxtaposed together. Last time we did, what if uh, J.R. Tolkien had done Star Wars? Yep. And actually came up with, they were actually not too far off. No, not actually. It was surprisingly. So today we decide to, in honor of action movies, is to say, what if Michael Bay had directed Wizard of Oz? So uh, certainly uh, any time that the witch vanishes, rather it being a puff of like pink smoke, it would obviously be a giant explosion. Giant fireball. Well, and probably we wouldn't be so much in Kansas in some slum in some city. Oh, yeah, that's probably true. And Dorothy would probably be a little more uh, skimpily dressed. Yeah, <laughs> what shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> to put this tastefully. And uh, what, rap instead of Somewhere Over the Rainbow? No, oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> that or, would there actually be singing or were, or would it just be, no, well, if there was singing, that's only because Dorothy was like a strip. Oh, I completely see that. And she's trying to escape. Yeah, she's trying to get out of her lifestyle. And so, you know, so all the people in Oz are like... Her manager or her best friend. Yeah. 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 Well, what about Toto then? Is it an actual dog or is it like... I think it's got to be some sort of transformer. (laughs) (laughs) That might be a little much. No, no. But I could see it being some sort of just bizarre... um, How about a python? (laughs) Python. I'm, we're going with Python. Direct from uh, Snakeogram. <laughs> Which dropped us. Yeah, I can't we, imagine we got to find why. another sponsor. My, Well, my wife kind of complained because they sent us some, you know, as sponsors, some free shipments. And anyways, she wasn't too happy with wasn't it. Wasn't too happy with it. I hear Lenovo wasn't too happy about it either, your dog. No, it was it was bad. Okay. So Tim's looking into a new sponsor that might be a little less uh, snaky. So hopefully, but... But yeah, so I think I think we have this here. So, okay, so, so now what about what about the Munchkins? How... Oh, the Munchkin. Uh, here, the thing is, Oz would be a lot more tripped out. Well, it wouldn't be tripped out. That'd be more like a that'd be Tim more Burton. Tim Burton. Yeah, yeah, Tim Burton, which would be scary too, actually. But they would have to be computer generated in some fashion. I'm thinking it'd be more of like a Blade Runner sort of atmosphere, like. It'd be like sort of like New York, except way a lot more bright, much more bizarre, much kind of. You know, well, you never. Do you ever watch the Tin Man on Sci-Fi? No, I never saw. Oh, it has kind of a little more of that sort of, not quite that feel, but heading that way because like the Wizard of Oz is like this druggy and okay. stuff like that. But yeah, I could I could kind of see. Have you ever seen the Wiz? No, I've heard of that. Though. Okay, <laughs> that's also kind of interesting. Very kind of a urban version of. Wizard of Oz. Well, you know, the the cowardly lion probably wouldn't actually be cowardly. He would probably be pretty vicious. Like, Dorothy would have to fight him off with, like, her bare hands and, you like, really, no, sub- no. subdue it. No, see, my, I think the cowardly lion should be cowardly, but he would have all these, like, he'd be, like, one of those annoying side characters <laughs> that would have all these all these quips and, like, whining voice and he'd be all nerdy. Okay, And, like, yeah. really overplay the stereotype. Okay, Okay, yeah, I can see that. He, <laughs> so he'd he'd be like a computer programmer. Then you're yeah, saying. yeah, exactly. You know, so like, he'd be like, "Oh, game over, man!" <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would be much more the style. Yeah. Okay. Um, Tin Man. No, Tin Man would have to be like some hardcore marine. Because <laughs> if nothing else, Michael Bay, you know the 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 law enforcement, the the you know the military, he he does a pretty good job with having yeah you know yeah. So he would have to be. Tin Man would be this military guy. Yeah, that makes sense. What about Scarecrow? Scarecrow. Then? I'm not sure on Scarecrow. Yet. Probably a hippie. I would. I would say. Love interest. 
Oh, that could be a love interest. We need a, um, but I don't know how you pull that off. I don't know either. I can't. I can't imagine Michael Bay I mean, having a having a guy that was actually made of of uh, straw. straw. No, that's wait, thing. no, no. The Tin Man would have to be a love interest, but he's got to get his heart. Oh, that's true. And, and he's the Marine. Oh, okay, that's right. So, Man, you're right. Tin Man would have to be a love interest. Okay. So Scarecrow. Yeah, I'm not sure what to do with this guy. Maybe he's the druggie. He could be the drug. Yeah, we can see. Or, or like, maybe instead of being a straw, it's just like he's he's always smoking weed. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like so so he's kind of like this idiot savant. You know, like his brain's like completely yeah. messed up. But everyone's about to just say something really awesome that makes sense. Yeah, and then people will look at him weird. Like, how'd you figure that out? And yeah, I, yeah. I think that's that's certainly Jerry Bruckheimer would be all over this idea. <laughs> all right. Now, what about so the witches? I know. No, Jerry. Wait. Jerry Bruckheimer doesn't do doesn't work with Michael Bay, does he? Not really. Okay, no. they're I'm not sure. similar. But kind of similar. They do blockbusters. That's what. Yeah, I, for some reason they had. Okay, ignore that then. So munchies, we don't know. I, I feel like they should be pale people with some sort of weird, some sort of weird uh, twitch. <laughs> <laughs> that or they're like the desert. Uh, denizens, citizens of a third world country. You know, kind of like... Oh, yeah, that would make, yeah. Temple of Doom sort of thing. Yeah. You know, that, no, very, that's, that's true, that would be... That would and be they're like, they're like uh, vertically challenged. But we need more action scenes. This is true. Well, well the, the whole the whole tornado scene would be fabulous. Oh, yeah. You'd have to have, you know, like, fire jets accidentally in there, and, you know, like the heart, the house is being destroyed, she's jumping from her house to something else. <laughs> Her house is being torn apart, apart bit by bit, and so by the end, she's like clinging on to a, a I don't know, a giant uh, frisbee. Not fr- a giant. <laughs> I don't know why giant frisbee came out. Like a like a like a like a door to a car. Yeah, or a... yeah, car door. There you go. Yeah, I think that would be compl- yes. So some sort of tornado ish sort of thing, or you know, or I mean, it could be like the end of the world for all. <laughs> well, and any time the wicked witch shows up, you know, she'd be hurling fireballs at them, and they'd be like, they'd have to be returned fire somehow. Yeah. So probably, well, probably we got the marine with a gun, and I think that's true. And, and Glinda would probably rather than just give her ruby slippers, she would probably give her like some sort of like a AK forty seven yeah, or something. Yeah, that'd be and that'd be okay. Come on, so you got stripper Dorothy with the AK forty seven. With a with a druggie, this like computer nerd and marine. Yeah, that is completely a movie that would be made. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and then the flying monkeys. The flying monkeys. They would be vicious. They'd be yeah. They'd be like feral. Yeah, yeah. They'd be like old zombie monkeys. Zombie monkeys. Yeah, <laughs> flying with, zombie with cyborg monkeys. <laughs> flying cyborg monkeys. <laughs> yep. Something like that. And they have this. They have this crazy like. Speech kind of like that, uh, that disc from that little tiny transformer that does. <laughs> they have to talk like that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Now, what about Emerald City? I'm not sure what else to do with that one. Yeah, um, I'd say for, well, for one thing, it's probably guarded by a transformer <laughs> of a different color. Uh, yeah, um. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and Oz himself, that would be man. It'd be hard to outdo the, Wait, you the giant head, but. Yeah. Michael Bay could do it. But it would have to be not like a floating head. It'd be like an actual severed giant head. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that varied its color. It'd go from like green to purple <laughs> to... It would shoot like laser beams out of its yeah, eyes. Yeah, yeah. Very, um, you know, a Cave of Wonder sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> or Max Headroom, evil or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you but, go. <laughs> So okay, so how, what's the climax? Climax. So See, the, the, they, water, the water's not going to work. The what? The water. 
Oh yeah, I know. Well, obviously they have to storm the castle. Yeah, That's part to, of it. Like they 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 mass the armies of the Emerald City to. No, no, the Munchkins have to come. The all the. Oh, okay, yeah, there you go. All the third world citizens. Yeah, and then they're they're like beating up on the cyborg zombie flying um, monkeys. The, and the what are the people called? The soldiers. Oh, the soldiers. I don't know. The brown? No, the the. I know who you're talking yeah. about. The Oreo. Yeah, and they would have this tribal like version of that. Yeah, you know, yeah. like. You know, kind of like Matrix, the when they're in, um, where they have the mosh pit in wherever they live. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. yeah <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I just forgot the name of it, though. Is that Zion? Zion, yeah, that's it. <laughs> horrible. Hor- I hope, yeah, horrible Zion. Um, so yeah, they're in there. You know, they have all these. Wet, you know, kind of maybe even like Area Fifty or um. Yeah, District Nine, sort of. Now, did Dorothy know. still get captured? Are they are they going to rescue her? It seems like they would have to. Dor- yeah, Dorothy has to get captured, she, and she's like, uh, oh, what's the term for it? She's like tied spread eagle on this giant thing, and the witch is like about to no, sacrifice her. No, here's to her, the thing. You know? Here's the thing. Is Dorothy the main character? I mean, she starts out the main character, but when she hits Oz, is she the main character, or is Mister Marine guy the main character? Hmm. Well, I think it's probably a kind of about their relationship. Yeah, yeah I would have to be. Yeah, and the other I think ones he, are kind she's of. She's the first one. He's the first one she meets. I think. I think we have to switch the order. Switch up. the order. Yeah, that probably makes sense. So, so he's going to go get her back no matter what. And so he's yeah. he's organizing. And he convinces the, the computer force. nerd and the you know and the druggie yeah, and... which the computer nerd will have to like hack into the systems Hack-in. in order yeah. to shut down the witch's security and stuff. And like last, that. you know, he's very uh, Jeff Goldblum in uh, Independence Day. Oh, you yeah. know, when he's like typing and like, oh. yeah. yeah, yeah, I will not do a visual demonstration of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. And then, and then we need to have some sort of very violent ending for the witch. Well, let's see. Um, I mean, I guess it could be. I think actually, I think what, what should happen is at some point the Marines, you know, they, they rescue Dorothy from whatever she's at, but then they get separated from her and the witch and Dorothy are like isolated alone on top of, on top of the tallest tower. And it's just a fight between the two of so them. So cat fight. Yeah. Cat fight. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, L Frank Baum is rolling in his grave. Right now. <laughs> actually, you know, you could use the water if like the witch equipped her with like a giant super soaker, maybe. Or, so, or, or, or maybe water could be some sort of, you maybe know, some precious element in this world, or or maybe some... like maybe it's the water that short circuits the witch's force field that protects her. Oh, there you could, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, that could might work. We need a catchphrase too. You know, <laughs> when the witch dies, she's like da da da. But I don't know. Uh, I'm not... You're soaked. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that might not go well on the poster. <laughs> that's that's but, really ridiculous. <laughs> You're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> I guess we should have Kansas be like the name of her, like, I don't know, strip club. <laughs> <laughs> Kansas? <laughs> okay. No far out. Maybe, or maybe that's, her, maybe that's her stripper name. You know, <laughs> Dor- Dorothy Kansas. No, don't even go there. <laughs> okay. Because... <laughs> Too many bad jokes come off that now. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so that's Michael Bay doing Wizard of Oz. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think... That way would... We may, be our, <laughs> we may be our own worst enemies, Nick. <laughs> you know, the problem is, Tim, so I was going to listen to this and think, that is awesome. I'm going to write that script. And then someday I'm going to be flipping through Sci-Fi Network. And you'd be like, what is this? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> 
Wow. Uh, Interesting. So, um, <laughs> I don't think we're going to be able to top that. No, well, that's... except, wait a minute, how, how does Dorothy get home? Does she even go home? Oh, that's an interesting question. Because what, yeah, why would like she Like, no, home, I mean, yeah. There's no place, like, not home. Unless, of course, see the gold, the the brick, golden brick road, uh-huh. whether it's actual gold, and she comes home with, a mil- so, like, bazillions of dollars, and, like, one-ups everyone that she, like, used to. Oh, that, that I, used that, to put her down. Yeah, I think that's going to have to be. Yeah, that's probably true. They give her. So you have to see at the end when you're like, wah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. And, you know, in the last scene, just her standing there with her money bag in one hand and her AK-47 the other. <laughs> with, with the Marine at her, you know, uh-huh. at her side. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, here's our assignment for you listeners. <laughs> Not to make this, but if you can come up with a catchphrase. <laughs> we need a catchphrase. Yeah. yeah. Please keep it clean. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I don't think we've ever discussed a movie which would be starring a stripper, Tim. <laughs> no, we never have. Um, thank you, Michael Bay. Yeah, thank you, Michael Bay. All right. Well, I might as well <laughs> wash my mouth out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tim, uh, contact info. Yes, please send all of your death threats, all of your uh, out letters of outrage to derailedtrains at gmail.com you can always visit us and leave your death threats at uh, derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com uh, it is very lonely yes, on our website right now it is we have not heard from anyone are you still out there hello hello um I guess it's time about that this is this is running a little short or shorter but maybe that's okay where it lacks in length it makes up in quality <laughs> yes in the least absurdness <laughs> so my soundtrack today well whereas Nick went with the more unorthodox jazz music I kind of just kind of went with my first instinct here because uh, I didn't have a lot of time to think about it so this is from Punch Out, the classic NES, I should say it's remixed from Punch Out, the classic NES game, and it's called Little Max Confession. This is one of the few OC remix, I guess there's more, but it's not in the majority of songs on there that have lyrics, but this is some pretty awesome heavy metal. It's, it's a pretty great song. Yeah, yeah, you should enjoy it. And very, I think Michael Bay would like it a lot too, actually. Yeah, yeah it's probably true. It kind of makes you want to punch someone, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, I hear some pegley coming closer, so we better get... Um... Yeah, just make sure you, you scoop up a handful of this gold before we leave, because yeah, yeah. I have a feeling this whole place, you know, once once the pirates get here, this place may just, you know, explode. You it, know it, how these things go. Yeah, they go the way of the finale of every lost season. Yep, pretty much. So. All right, thank you for listening, and uh, this is Tim. This is Nick. And we'll see you next time. You're soaked.
Norris. Chuck Norris, man of action. Chuck Norris stars in Chuck Norris Karate Commandos. Chuck Norris, he's got nerves of steel and strength to match. Chuck Norris stars in Chuck Norris Karate Commando!